Hey everyone, this is Paul Siegel, and you're listening to Wandering DMs. Wandering DMs comes to you live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern, and you can catch us on twitch.tv slash wanderingdms, or youtube.com slash wanderingdms slash live. And now, on with the show. Bonjour tout le monde, bienvenue sur Wandering DMs. Je m'appelle Paul. Hey, je m'appelle Dan. And on this episode of Wandering DMs, because that's pretty much all the French I know, um, <laughs> on this episode of Wandering DMs, we're going to be talking about languages in D&D and other fantasy games. And we're going to be talking about where they come from, where are they going, and which one is the best to learn. All that and more today on Wandering DMs. Excellent. Welcome, everyone. Uh, I am, uh, in fact, wandering today, as you can tell by the lovely uh, Airbnb behind me. As usual, would love to show you the glorious view out my window, but uh, cameras don't work that way. Uh, <laughs> uh, I am in uh, the lovely uh, Ile de Perrault, just outside of Montreal, um, where uh, uh, most uh, there's a lo- predominantly French-speaking area. All the street signs are in French. Uh, people are greeting me in French. Um, yeah, it's a, a different experience. Cool, cool. I, I think that. I, I, so I think that's the thing that motivated us uh, this week to uh, to talk about languages and DD. And so I was doing a little bit of research last night and this morning, and I uh, came to the realization that um, uh, linguistics is a very large subject. Did you know, were you aware of this, Paul? Because I'm a little bit, yeah. I'm a little bit disturbed to realize that we bid off a one hour episode about like all of linguistics, both real and fictional, oh. so. Well, yeah, well, we can, we can maybe focus in just on what it's, uh, you know, what it's like to, to play a role playing game where the characters maybe understand different languages than each other or yeah. um, the other members in their world. I was very curious, frankly, to come up to this area. Uh, it's like actually my first time traveling in a place that is not a native English speaking oh. area. And oh. um, my French is, is not not the best. Um, it's, uh, you know, definitely drawing on 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 high school lessons, uh, quite quite dated. But uh, the interesting thing about Montreal is that um, it's kind of a bilingual place, right? In fact, I think uh, they say right that it's they're actually speaking Quebecois. Which is a kind of a weird mashup, uh, or or more that they very frequently flip between French and English. Um, I was at a cafe yesterday where on the menu was both both uh, chocolat chaud, which is hot chocolate, as well as cold brew. Interesting, interesting, yeah. yeah. Both, both on the menu, just like that. I was like, okay. <laughs> It's actually kind of nice for someone who doesn't understand French very well because I can just kind of fall back into English when I feel like and nobody nobody bats an eye. Right. <laughs> well, it, admittedly, when I uh, when I've uh, traveled in uh, France uh, in the past, and I'm not a huge traveler, but I have gone there at least once. I, you know, more or less just had to act like I was dumb because I'm traveling with someone who's a native French speaker, and so the the awkward thing is that she would be. T- speaking and then everybody would just assume that I was also a native French speaker and they'd turn to me and ask a question or say something and I'd be like, eh, hard on moi. Eh, I don't know. Just, just, just assume that I'm stupid, I guess. Um, and, you know, you know, a couple of people in the chat are pointing out that, and it's true, um, you know, we call, you know, I initially grew up in Maine. Uh, it's right next to Canada. Uh, had a lot of uh French Canadian people in the community around me it was was very common. Uh, a lot of French Canadian names and things like that. And it um, you know it wasn't until fairly recently that I that I learned that uh, native French speakers uh, consider uh, Canadian French consider Quebecois to be uh, a fairly different language and might not actually be able to understand it. As a matter of fact, um, mm. which was which was an inter- interesting realization. So even though we call both of them French. Uh, you might actually have trouble communicating between continental French and Canadian French, actually, is what I've learned. 
Um, and it, a couple of people already knew that before I said that in the chat there. So that was uh, that was an interesting realization. You know, one thing I'll point out is that when I was growing up in Maine, we we actually used French currency and coins interchangeably with American. So I grew mm. up having a pocket full of you know American and Canadian pennies and nickels and dimes, and just at a store, no difference. And it wasn't until I moved to uh, Boston and did that same thing. And some storekeeper got really angry at me. It was like, How, what are you doing? What, are you, what kind of scam are you trying to pull here? And I was like, oh, that's not normally a thing. I just, I just thought that Canadian American coinage was interchangeable. Sorry. <laughs> wow. Wow. Yeah, definitely yeah. not. Not with the exchange rate. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Right. Hmm. Fascinating. I'm finding up here, um, you know, one of the interesting things that's hit me is, you know, once or twice someone's come up and just spoken very rapid French to me, and I have to say, I'm sorry, I don't understand you. Je ne comprends. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, I'm sure I just said that wrong. Um, but the interesting thing is, I've noticed that, like, oftentimes it's just a matter of which greeting do you use. If I say bonjour, then we're speaking French, and if I say hello, then we're speaking English, and that seems to be enough. Um, which is fascinating, I think, because I keep it. And of course, I knew we were going to have this discussion today. And so I keep relating it back to D&D. So one of the things that jumps out to me about D&D is the existence of common, right, as a language. It's common. Everyone speaks it. Like, it doesn't even get a name of a region or a culture. It's just common, which is kind of like English, right? But not really. But it's kind of like Right, like you were saying that you kind of only need to know how to say, do you speak English these days? And that, that's enough to, to um, you know, hit things off. You to, get around you know, lots of lots of parts of the world, actually. Just, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and of course, our, our yeah. mutual joke is, of course, that English is the lingua franca of right. modern, <laughs> right. of the modern day of the to modern a large day. degree. Yeah, indeed, right. indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, it's. Um... I, I won't say. You know, I've been. You know, it's funny. The the name of, you know, the common tongue in original D and D. I noticed that they've got it like in scare quotes. They've got the common tongue, which would make me think that uh, you should be replacing that with some other name in your campaign world. I guess. But on the other hand, I guess that actually does get used in Lord of the Rings. I guess. I guess they call Westrun. Um, which is the English analog that hobbits and men use. I guess occasionally they do call that the common speech in the text. The so speech. I guess that's where that came from. Someone can right. correct me if I'm wrong about that. But, but I would presume the assumption there is that it's the common speech of this area that we are in right now, right? Like there's an in, implicit or still behind that. That's what always struck me as weird about common as it's presented in D&D is that it seems to be a cultural. And you're like, what? What is this language? That's everyone knows. Every, literally, everyone knows, right? Like every character you ever make definitely knows common, which is fascinating, right? Except for that one game we played at my birthday, where everybody spoke only Elvish. <laughs> I will, you know, I feel that there's a tension, right? I feel that there's a tension in, in that language is, you know, clearly connected to culture. I think if I, yeah. if I, and I'm not the biggest expert in this. But I think that language is clearly connected to culture and you have this tension of you want something in your core rules, but you're trying to keep it separate from the campaign setting. And there's there's a mm. little bit of a tension about exactly how do you how do you arrange that? Um, let me say this. OK, mm. let me just take a little bit of a, a little bit of a tangent. But my opening thesis for, for today is this. Right. Arguably, you could argue that our entire fantasy gaming hobby is really a derivative of uh, an interest in linguistics, right? So Tolkien, who is, mm -hmm. I think we all agree, the not the only, but the largest influence on D&D. Um, that's where all the monsters come from in Chainmail and things like that. You know, Tolkien himself said that largely he wrote Lord of the Rings as a rapper around his lifelong passion for linguistics and making up fantasy languages for elves and dwarves and men and hobbits and orcs, right? His, his fundamental burning desire was to explore the construction of fantasy languages. And Lord of the Rings was just sort of like, here's how I'm going to embed this so that people encounter it. Um, I, I need it, you know, language comes from history, comes from culture. So I need a history and this history is going to be Lord of the Rings. So, you know, arguably we could say that, you know, an interest in languages came first and our entire fantasy, you know, fantasy hobby 
it has really downriver from that. So languages are incredibly important. They're hugely important to our game. Um, hmm. And I'm glad that we're getting an opportunity to talk about it today. Um, so, you know, Token himself I, I created like dozens of languages, right? Over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And um, his, his, his primary focus was in Elvish. So to my understanding, he constructed at least 15 different languages just for Elvish alone, right? Including Kenya and Sindarin and a whole bunch of other ones. And then you get little smatterings in Lord of the Rings of, you get a little smattering of what ought to be Dwarvish. You get a little smattering of what ought to be Orcish, things like that. And, you know, and then you have the, the black speech that Sauron invented for his underlings and stuff like that. And I'll point out, you know, you've got a Dwarvish language, you've got an Orcish language. And, you know, starting with Tolkien, this, you know, we, you know, we are equating species to race to ethnicity to culture to language are kind of one thing so of course we've always in DD talked about the dwarven language and the orcish language and the goblin language and um that all flows out of out of tolkien we still have we basically still have that in DD today and i can certainly imagine someone critiquing that nowadays as I'd say for simplicity, equating all of these all of these separate factors. But that's one thing to think about is that for most things in D and D, race dictates your language. Interesting, you know, um, and, and and part of this, um, you know, one of the things we wanted to talk about here, or one of the things I wanted to talk about here, is you know, last last week we were talking about the new edition of D and D that's coming out, and it's um, one of the things that jumped out at me in that opening uh, bit of, of rules that they released is the languages that in the, in the new edition, by default, you create a new character will be trilingual. They will have common, they will have a language based on race and they will have a language based on background, mm -hmm. um, which is not actually, I, I, at first I was like, that's a lot of light. Everyone's trilingual. That's a lot. Um, but if you think about it, you know, in old school D&D, right, you probably, you definitely knew common. You possibly knew a racial language, and you also had an alignment language, right? So, correct, correct. Right? So it's kind of maybe not different. And and uh, um, the reason, sorry, the reason I'm saying all this is to circle back to that alignment language, which is fascinating. I think that's something you and mm -hmm. I have talked about, and we've been grumpy about in the past. I think about alignment languages, but you mentioned Tolkien uh, having a dark speech, and surely that must be the origin of this concept that there are alignment languages, right? I, to me, it seems clearly connected. Like, frankly, the, the, you know, Tolkien's Black Speech of Sauron seems like the best uh, model for how that makes sense at all, frankly. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're going to defend, if you're going to defend alignment languages at all from classic D&D, you do, you do point to Black Speech as possibly the most coherent expression of it. I will point out that there's a work of uh, Tolkien, there's an early work of Tolkien called The Lamas, which outlines his overview for all the languages together uh, in Middle Earth. And um, his, his overall structure is that language come from the gods, from the veneer initially, in three branches. Get them three branches. There's Aromian, where you get all the elven and men's languages. You get Olean, which is basically the dwarves language. And you get Melkian, which is the orca speech. Three, three languages. And of three branches, right? Three branches of, of families of languages. And it's kind of interesting that original D&D has three alignments and therefore three alignment languages. So I could kind of, I feel mm -hmm. like I could kind of point to these families of branches in, in Tolkien's Lamas as possibly analogous. Um, hmm. Do we like alignment languages? Do we generally like <laughs> alignment languages? Personally, I've never been fond of them um, because they get too close to uh, that that same issue of what what is the culture? Why 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 do I know these languages? How was I taught these languages growing up? It seems weird, um, and and it's too blanket, I guess. Right? There's like especially when you only have three alignments. Holy cow! There's a lot of things that speak all this same language. <laughs> no, <laughs> good comment. <laughs> I think no, Hobo like Owner is summarizing some of the chat comments right now. Uh, uh, concisely, and we appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, let me let me let me jump back here. Honestly, one of the problems I have with language is there's 
as, as you pointed out, the origin of language in role-playing games is very academic. But I think there's something really fascinating about the cultural, uh, the day-to-day, the, the bumping into a shopkeeper and trying to just talk uh, that we're going to end up role-playing that I want to see portrayed. Like, what is it like to not know the language of the people around you? Or what is it like to speak the language that's not the common language or, you know, there I am using common again, but, uh, you know, there's not the typical language of the, of the culture that you're in currently, right? Like I kept waiting for, and I've, I've seen this once or twice around here. Usually, um, most of the people I've interacted with very comfortable in either French or English. They have no problem just jumping back and forth between them. And so the moment I ask for English, no big deal. And we're, we're immediately speaking English. But once or twice, I've encountered a person who kind of gives a little, like, you know, a little sigh, <laughs> a little, oh, I have to try to do this in English, huh? Right. I had, I had a scarred at a museum the other day. Uh, I was, I had, the way wasn't well marked. Let me say that. The way wasn't well marked. And I had wandered into an area I wasn't supposed to be in. And the guard came up and said a bunch of French to me, which was too fast. I didn't understand. And I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand you in English. Uh, which he then kind of, you know, had a little sigh and then just looked at me and said, it's forbidden. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. Like, he, you clearly don't have That's a lot great. of English. But it's right, forbidden, okay. Right. And then he kind of hand gestured to yeah. me where I'm supposed to go. And I kind of went that yeah, way yeah. and it was fine. Right. Yeah. But, um, you know, I feel like we don't get those moments in role-playing games. We don't think to role-play those moments of, you know, you know, you're in the elven town and you speak common and have the elves like roll their eyes and go, oh, common. Okay. I guess I'll talk <laughs> to you in common, right? <laughs> or something like that. That's a good, that's a good moment. And I mean, like what, one of my questions mechanically, right, is that, um, it has been true in D&D all along that language acquisition is binary, right? You either have it or you don't. And mm. we, all, we all know that's not how language works in the real world. Of course not. Yeah. People are yeah. more proficient or less proficient. There are ways of measuring that. Now, there are other games. And for example, the first one I think I ever encountered was the TSR game Top Secret that would give you a, a, a numerical measurement. I think in Top Secret was a percentage of like what percentage of the language i don't know it's just a percentage whatever it is right um and i think mm-hmm. is that how they do it in call of cthulhu i think that you have like a skill in like call of cthulhu that you can be better or worse at a language i think yeah i think yeah i don't think they ever tell you what's that supposed to mean right um although you know in more modern role play i've made little tricks like saying if someone's poor at a language i like saying something like either you can only say words that are one or two syllables at most. Um, mm-hmm. Another one that just dawned on me, which I haven't tried yet, but I would love to do is you can only speak in the present tense. Right? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's right. 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 The thing is, the funny thing about that is it sounds funny and it sounds enjoyable, but it's hard. That's, that's what I came up with is that, you know, forcing people to really think about what they're saying in the moment. Be like, ah, I can't say it that way. Ah, which maybe is so, a nice, you know, method role play there. <laughs> so I have I have an anecdote, right? So um, yeah, yeah. I, I used to go on I used to go on canoe trips more than I currently do. So uh, the, the the month before I uh, entered the University of Maine, uh, they had an optional um, uh, they had an optional entry uh, canoe trip, you know. And only like a dozen people, I don't know, like a, like a dozen or 15 people signed up for it, not many people. But we would go out and we were in the wilderness of Maine on a canoe trip for a whole week, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was sort of a team build, you know, there were team building exercises and get to know people and that kind of thing. So one night they, they sat us down. <laughs> I don't know, this might not be legal now, now that, I, now that this comes out of my mouth. They sat us down at a picnic table, right? And we, were, mm-hmm. we are going to, uh, we're going we're gonna, to uh, fix dinner. Right, we're gonna we're gonna um, uh, prepare dinner, right? So they 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 tie us together with rope, <laughs> so we can't. Well, it sounds like a D and D campaign already. Okay, yep. <laughs> right, exactly, right. They tie us together with a rope. We only have candles for lighting, and we're gonna again we're gonna mutually prepare dinner. And they go around the twelve people, and they alternately go. You cannot talk at all. You talk only in one syllable words. 
you can't talk, you talk in one syllables, you can't talk, you talk in one syllables, you can't talk. Now I'm at the end of the line and I'm a, and as a smart ass, I say, let me guess, I can only talk in four syllable words. And they go, well now, yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, oh, so, no. I'm thinking, so I'm doing all these, so everybody else is like stumbling with what you exactly just said about trying to explain what they want in one syllable. And I'm coming up with like all these elaborate, illuminatory, <laughs> you know, constructivist-ish uh, vocabularyisms in order to try to get myself understood. Oh, that's hilarious. So oh, you're, no. you're right. There were, uh, that, 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 that dinner was like, you know, not French cuisine. I'll say that. We got fed. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. That is hilarious. I think I, I don't for know. some reason I remember laughing so hard when someone turned to someone and say, I need more wax lights. Because they couldn't say candles, right? And it, it came out so totally smooth. Just like, hey, I need more wax lights. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just how we always talk. <laughs> <laughs> right. <That's great. laughs> yeah. Oh, God. That's funny. <laughs> uh. Um, so, so I guess let me let me take a step back. Then, where is the fun? Why is it interesting to have multiple languages in D and D? Why not just say screw it? There's only one language everyone speaks. That we're done. Okay, so for me, okay, the best, and again, this came up by surprise, not really, not too long ago. But the, for me, the 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 really wonderful play that I got was, um, you know, a year or two ago, was uh, forcing uh, certain players to do the negotiation that don't normally do that role playing. So I've mm. had cases mm -hmm. where, you know, there's usually, you know, there's usually someone who's personality wise kind of head of the pack a little bit and or they have a high charisma score. And so every time mm. you run into an NBC or a monster or something like that, they that particular player wants to get pushed up in front and run the smooth negotiations. And then you're in a situation where they don't have the language to do it. And you have some other player mm who's been taking kind of second seat on those things, doesn't do a lot of role playing, and they just happen to have that language on their sheet. And even though kind of nobody wants it and everybody's uh, uncomfortable with it, that player all of a sudden has to run the negotiation because they're the only one that can talk, right? right. And that right. was like a really fresh, uh, little fresh piece of business uh, that kind of pushes someone normally in a back seat up front. And I, I had a really, you know, and now that person is now the leader of the bugbears in the dungeon, right? They're the, right, they're the person right, that everybody right. recognizes as they tell the bugbears what to do. Uh, and I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was like a really enjoyable piece of business to have that, to have the resources of the languages kind of split up among different members of the party. That is nice. That is, that is a good effect. I would say, I, I assume that's happening because the bugbears are getting charmed. <laughs> I mean, uh, in what? that case, right. actually, no. Uh, surrendered. Surrendered in a fight, actually. Surrendered. Okay. 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 Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Roll a yeah. morale check. Threw down their weapons, right? Surrendered. What mm -hmm. do we do now? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. Could have been a charm spell. I feel like there's, there's many times where I feel like the language barrier forces action. Right. And I don't know, you can tell me whether this is good or bad, but cases where the party comes up, they see a bunch of posturing, angry goblins who shout words at them that they don't understand. And the players go, well, we don't understand them. So and those words, I, of course, are Briark. 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 <laughs> um, right. But it kind of forces the hand, right? Like, they're, okay, they're posturing. They look violent. They look unhappy. I can't <laughs> communicate with them. I can't negotiate. I guess we're going to fight, right? Which is unfortunate, I think, sometimes, right? There's cases where it's like, well, it, maybe it would be a fun situation to role play if only you knew the language. Um, and then there's other times where it's, you know, I don't know, maybe it's enjoyable of like, nope, gosh, it sure would have been nice if we could have communicated with them. But just because the way our party is built, we don't have that skill. And you know, um, look, I'll I'll admit that like a you know original D and D comes out of war game, so you know mm -hmm. the intention initially is you know there are fights, 
And the original D&D rules do say in the text, monsters by default just attack the end. Unless, unless yeah. the DM writes something else in the, in the text or they're intelligent and can see that they're overwhelmed, all the monsters just attack. That's the game. Um, so certainly at the root, it wasn't, it wasn't built in that you're going to go through the entire dungeon mm -hmm. negotiating mm -hmm. your way. Mm -hmm. See, I always enjoyed, though, and I guess my, my head always goes into to out of the dungeon, back to town. Right, especially when the players are traveling, or they're hex crawling somewhere, and they end up in a town that is different, a different culturally than the one that they came from. Whether that's because, I mean, usually that's usually for me that's tied ends up being tied to race, right? Like you're in the woods, you encounter, you discover a, a camp of you know wood elves. They only speak elf. Right? That's like that's, I feel like, yeah, I feel like that's usually where it comes up for me, and that you could still have the same effect of pushing a different player to the forefront. I also like cases where we get uncomfortable, uh, where we're forced to do a little bit of game of telephone at the table, right? If the elf leader wants to talk to Dan, but in order to talk to Dan, he's got to go through Paul, and so so the GM is telling me, and I'm having to turn and just reflect the same information to you. Uh, I find that amusing, usually because like it just happens naturally, right? Like just like the very game of telephone is exactly that, right? Like I will somehow, just through my own foolish memory, mangle the communication. But since we all actually heard the actual words, the rest of the table gets a laugh at it, right? Because like, haha, that's <laughs> not really. We all know that's not what the, uh, the chief of the elves said. You screwed it up. I'm like, yeah, well, I said what I said. Totally. Totally. We've had a we've had a good time with those those kinds of situations, actually. Yeah. 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 I mean, another thing I'll I throw out that we've that we've had a good time oh. uh, playing with is uh, like handouts, right? Um, you know, here's a a handout or a script or something like that. That's a physical piece of business, uh, but it's in a different language. And can how can you translate it? How can you translate it? Who can you translate it? And mm -hmm. um, like, like a thing that like became a whole a whole part of our major campaign that we used to run together uh, in the third edition era is I had my partner, Isabel, who is a French native originally, uh, playing uh, a half-orc fighter. And so I started developing these, you know, handouts that are supposed to be in orcish. And so in order to represent that, I would use Google Translate and I would translate it into French. So, and then put mm -hmm. it in some kind of like, you know, orcish type script. So French became orcish in that particular game. Nobody else at the table <laughs> uh, knew orcish and nobody else, no, no character at the table knew orcish and new player at the table knew French other than Isabel. So uh, French became orcish and then that kind of snowballed. And in that particular campaign, French culture became orcish culture. So they, they had they, they had elaborate dishes and a lot of cream sauces and, and, and right and on and on that, that I had this whole orcish kingdom that was basically this weird mangling of French culture on the table, but basically just spawned out of that little language thing. Now that's you know that kind of right. I, I love that so much. And and it the funny thing is you know Google Translate didn't at the time didn't do that great a job. So Isabel would get it and she would have trouble you know, reading it like it was archaic or something like that. This isn't a very good translation. And I'm like, good. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, good. it got garbled along the way someplace. Um, yeah. So yeah. we had a lot of fun with that. And so you can consider, you know, there's, you know, those kinds of tools are really excellent. Google Translate now has, I don't know, 100, 200 different languages, some of which I've never heard of before. So one option is you could say in your campaign, you could pick some, you know, language that you don't otherwise know establish that as this particular language in your campaign and use, use Google Translate to get all your um, all your handouts printed out. And then maybe, you know, maybe if you have some player that knows one language and the other don't, you could tie that in. That's not something you could universalize because that was very much a like, you know, one single place and one single time for us with the particular mix of players that we had. But boy, that that added a lot to that particular campaign. It completely kind of changed it in some ways. I mean, you could you could certainly play with technology there as a way of just you know, all right, because this is you know this is a you know here's a handout. It's written in French uh, because your character is an orc. You're allowed to get out your phone and use Google Translate to translate it. Mm -hmm. 
right? Good point. You do that. Good point. Yeah. You could do that. Um, maybe that's maybe that's enjoyable. Uh, I mean, I do love the 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 adaptation of real world cultures into fantasy cultures. I think that's hilarious. Um, yeah. yeah, that's you know you know of course we're all now now or at least me I'm immediately imagining orcs in berets who smoke a lot. You know, like because that's just right. how orcs are. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. You know. Um, that is excellent. See, see an orc wagon, right? Your next, your next orc caravan has wagons, car like completely stuffed with baguettes. Delightful, delightful. I gotta get these before they go stale. Yeah, yeah. Okay, let me bring a couple of things, a couple of real world things that we see happening when people don't know languages that um that come up in uh that, that could come up in role play we don't often see them come up in role play but i uh, i think it would be fun uh, somebody i think posted I, I saw it go back and i'm already missing it but like um you could have uh shoot i'm, I'm not finding it dan maybe you're you're better at scouring the chat but somebody mentioned like that's when you don't speak the native language all the prices double Right, like you can have ah. your shopkeepers give uh, different prices, and whether you speak the language or not, because uh, they assume you are, you know, not not local. There you go. If you don't speak the town's language, really you get the special point. menus. By Jerry yeah. McDonald made that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. That's good. I mean, I've seen stuff. You know, there's 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 a there's a trope I think that goes around social media of people. You know, stories of they were surprised to know that I spoke the local language. Right. You could, as DM, have you know players walk into into Elf Town and the uh, chief of the elves and his second in command start talking in Elvish with the assumption the players don't understand it because none of the players are elves. And you say they just start talking in Elvish because they know it, right? And maybe one of the characters does, and you go, oh, "Great, okay." So here's what they're saying, and and just role play out the NPCs talking to each other with the assumption that they believe the players can't understand them. Great. Great. That could that, be fun. That has, I've been with Isabel like on the train here in New York when that's happened to her of yes. people nearby. And she's like, that's, that's really rude. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. You know, yeah. that kind of thing. It's, yeah. That's a good piece definitely of definitely a lot, a lot of, a lot of people uh, take comfort in believing that their conversation is private when uh, maybe it's not. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. There's a lot of people in New York and learning a lot of different languages around us all the time. Uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Now maybe we should talk I, mechanics just, a little bit. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Go. No. 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 We can jump to mechanics. Go for it. Okay. So, so two things. Right. So, so two primary things on my mind that kind of interact with like D and D rules. And I'm going to assume that we've got the we've got the binary rule. Okay. So I don't think you know D and D is never a step towards the uh, percentage base. You know, I'm thinking about Top Secret in the, in the Top Secret Adventures in the 80s from TSR. Uh, which is you know espionage type stuff. They had to have a major. They have to have this page, page cute size table for all the NPCs because every NPC got rated in every different language in English, French, German, and Russian with a percentage number for every single NPC in the entire oh, adventure, right? Yeah. And I'm like, how am I going to remember or use this? I don't. I never managed to actually make that become effective in the game, whether someone's got 75% in Russian and 52% in French. I'm like, I don't know what, what to do with that. So I let's assume like that the we're... granularity there, the granularity yeah. of 52% versus 50%. Like, oh, oh, Absolutely. 52%. You know, Absolutely. the conjugation of three more verbs, right? Right. The, <laughs> the, 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 um, so, so D&D has always had, you know, binary languages. And it's kind of funny because yeah. in third edition, you know, um, speaking a new language was wrapped into the skill uh, uh, subsystem. Mm -hmm. And every mm -hmm. other skill would have points, right? You've got five points in climb and you've got six points and, you know, use magic item or something like that. But then speak language specifically says speak language does not work like any other skill. You either have it or you don't. And there's no points for it. Every other skill is different than this. Right. What? So why did you why did you put it in that subsystem in the first place? And you know, that's that's been treated differently differently afterwards. But that's that was what third yeah. edition was like. So let's just assume that we've got binary languages for simplicity, which is what I've always played with. Yeah. The two primary sure. questions that I have that seem to interact are 
how many languages do you know and how many languages are in the world right um mm -hmm. so you were remarking on the the six edition draft we were looking at next week with everybody's going to be starting with three languages well in original DD, you could have characters that start with um like 10 uh, hypothetically because mm -hmm. you'd start with common you get uh you get your alignment language and then you'd get one more language per point of intelligence over 10. So if you are starting off with 18 in intelligence, that's eight extra bonus languages. Um, that's a lot. That's, that's, so people in, in classic D&D by the book would have a crap ton of languages. And if you are a, a dwarf, I think the rules say, you know, common and dwarvish and goblin and hobgoblin and orcish or something like that. And if you're an elf, likewise, you start off with at least five languages, if not more. I mean, that's but they my, also my, have more languages. My recollection, my recollection from BX is that that was actually one of the advantages to bringing an elf, or maybe a dwarf, but probably an elf with you, is, is mm -hmm. it just opened the door. Like, anybody playing an elf immediately had a ton more languages than everyone else. Just, yep. They just got them for free. Yep, totally. Totally. That's absolutely what was in the book. And, you know, I remember stumbling over that as a very young DM. I remember, um, you know, going into a dungeon and the players confront some goblins and I'm trying to make it mysterious, right? They're like, they're small creatures mm -hmm. and they have large teeth and they look like this and you don't know what they are. And one of my players goes, you know, I speak goblin. So I feel like I should be able to know what a goblin is if I run into them. And I'm like, eh, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> That's a good point that's that I good. overlooked. These are goblins. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there were a lot. There were, there were, you had to have, you had to take up quite a large amount of space on your character sheet to list all these different, you know, racial languages that you probably mm -hmm. started off with. But on the other hand, there was a much larger, you know, every single monster race in the game all had their own language. So they had a much larger list of languages than you do nowadays with. Um, basically since third edition, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, have a much smaller list of languages. So I'm kind of wondering which, where to turn the dials on that. Know a bunch of stuff, have a bunch of stuff in the world. Should it be smaller for simplicity? And I don't know if you want to look at the, the tables of languages that we've got, uh, that we've got queued up. Sure, sure, we can do that. Is this uh, one of them? This is first edition. Right, so this is out of the first edition advanced D&D uh, &D Dungeon Master's mm -hmm. Guide is where they, they put this stuff. And you can see here's uh, a table for random language determination for like NPCs or maybe a magic sword or something like that. And every prominent you know, monster type that has any kind of intelligence basically has their own language, including right, subtypes of dragon. Right? Black dragon's a different right. language than blue dragon, is different than red dragon, subtypes of giant. Right, cloud giant, frost giant, fire giant all have different languages, even Nagas. And then right at the end, you know, Zorn have their own language. Sylphs have a language that's different than Pixies. Um, ogre is different than Ale Ogre Mage. And then at the end, you have a, you have a fifteen percent chance right at the end of human, foreign, or other. Right, choose, which includes choose an unlisted creature language. So this goes on and on even more than this. Um, I'm always, and I'm always surprised by the what I consider kind of solitary monsters, right? Like the Zorn, right? The idea that Zorn yeah. have their own language doesn't that imply that there's a Zorn society somewhere? There's a Zorn culture that that the Zorn congregate in some way and talk to each other. It's not a thing I had ever really imagined Zorn doing. I think that's an ad, right? I feel like I kind of feel like that's an ad as it starts to make me think about other stuff I could add to my campaign to to answer that. Yeah, I'll say yeah. It's why not? Why not say yes to that? Yeah. On on yeah. the flip side, you know, apparently dragons are very um, segregated by color. That uh, blue dragons and red dragons don't really understand each other at all. <laughs> it's fascinating, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and then you can contrast this. And, and at some point, I think uh, I, I might have it on my blog, actually. Like I took that asterisk note for all the other stuff and made a comprehensive search through first edition for every monster mm -hmm. that had enough intelligence to have language and have like a, a one through 100 table for all the other monsters um, in case you land on that particular one. So that was, you know, you know again, we're, we're connoting 
you know, species to, to, to race, to ethnicity, to culture, to language. Um, I'm certainly not the person to disentangle all that stuff. But for a role-playing game that initially was just like a hobby, it's, you know, you can kind of see why that was a simple way of getting it out there. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it also, I, I was going to say also, um, the, the problem becomes compounding, right? Much like, I don't know, spells, right? That, that the more content that gets produced, the more languages exist, right? Every new module that includes a new monster type adds a new language to the game. And it makes, it, it has a weird impact on, on the world building, right? That, That's a good point. You know, we live in this world that has hundreds of languages, um, which maybe is not terribly off the mark for the real world, but yeah. Right. Admittedly, the real world does have hundreds of languages. Yeah. Um, yeah. So in some sense, that kind of hits me the right way, actually. There's whatever, mm, however many you know, is there's, there's dozens more that are going to surprise you someday. I actually kind of don't mm. mind that myself. But again, yeah. I might be biased. Yes, I, I, this is what I grew up with, so I might be biased. Yeah. But you don't, what you don't have, that, where it breaks down in, in corollary to the real world, right, is what you don't have is huge expanses of distance between the groups who are speaking different languages, right? Like most likely you're going to encounter all these creatures in a dungeon or within a short distance of your homeland, right? That, that I go into a dungeon and I encounter six different monster types, all of which are speaking a different language, all within this one underground complex. That seems unusual. Shall we say? <laughs> That's to my understanding. Again, I'm not a linguist. To my understanding, there are places in the world, right? There are places in the world that have variant dialects pretty close to each other, a couple towns over, mm. a couple miles away. I think. Mm. Um, so if they have, if these monsters have come from mm. other enclaves and they've taken up parts of your dungeon. I think I could defend that. I'm not going to say that's what would exactly happen. I think I could defend you, that. You, you end up with the argument of, okay, well, then these languages are somewhat related. So like orcs and goblins should be able to kind of communicate because they're in the same language family. And now are we right back to alignment languages? So we just circled back to that. <laughs> you know, for what it's worth, in original D&D, &D, the rule is like every racial type has their own language and 20% of them no common. Yeah. So that's, you know, so you get a smattering, you get a smattering of here's the words we need to communicate when we need to communicate. Um, I, I really do want to get more back into alignment languages, but maybe let's just look okay. at yeah. the, the, the fifth edition uh, list of languages just to contrast that, that large sure. list. Sure, sure. Or third uh, or six, because they're mostly the same. Uh, great. Uh, I'm going to pick one at random. I'm hoping I'm showing the right image here. Is that the that fifth edition is list? the sixth the sixth edition. So that is the that's what's in the draft Close. for one D and D. It's going to follow up fifth, uh, and it it mostly looks that that list. So this is third. Darn it! And um, <laughs> is that third? No, that's that's. I think that's third. Is that fifth? That might be fifth. I can't tell the difference. They're so close. God. <laughs> <laughs> what's the uh, what's this one man identify this list of languages that's third okay that i know this that's, that's third. third and the one we were just looking at before is fifth that's it so this is third so the point here and and they it, they're pretty darn similar through since third mm -hmm. is this is the all this is all the languages right this is all of them right so it's greatly collapsed there's only about mm -hmm. 20 or so and you know, you've got the giant language, and that's for all the different giant types plus ogres, right? You've got the goblin language, which is goblinoids, goblins and hobgoblins and bugbears and whatever else is related to them, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, um, and, and, and as of third, to my knowledge, you don't have alignment languages, right? They scrubbed alignment languages, and the closest analog is they have these exotic languages at the bottom of abyssal, celestial, and infernal, right? Which is basically, mm -hmm three parts of the outer planes, right? There's a, the good, the lawful evil, the chaotic evil, sort of your, sort of your analogs. And I believe uh, clerics get to pick one of those languages for free. Um, so greatly collapsed, right? Character, player characters aren't going to start off with 10 languages of love, like they used to. But in fifth, you get maybe two or three. And in sixth, you're, everybody's going to get three. So I feel like very quickly, you're going to cover all the bases, right? If you have... Mm -hmm. 
if you have about 20 languages in the world and you have five players and they all have three languages each, that's possibly 15-ish languages, and you're pretty quickly just going to cover all the bases, um, as opposed to, like you were saying, Paul, in first edition where you had just an indefinite number of languages and you never, you never had any hope of covering all of them. I wonder what's better. I don't know, honestly, right? Like you, you, cause you kind of want both moments, right? You want, you want those moments in the game where no one understands the language and you want those moments in the game where one person understands the language. And that's interesting because that person's in the limelight now. Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I don't know that there's a right answer to this. Um, what? Yeah, before, there should be a right, there should before, be one. Before we run out There's of time, I also, I also want to bring up somewhat related, um, you know, is the question of literacy. And that, right. like that, that can almost be considered a, yet, yet another language, or at least creates similar role play experiences. Um, and my, my main, uh, the main point where I've come up across that is uh, playing Warhammer. Uh, most of the Warhammer fantasy role play games assume uh, at the baseline illiteracy. And, you know, if you play the right type of character, maybe you get to be literate, um, which is interesting, right? It's fun. Uh, you know, different characters going to get pushed in the limelight. Oh, we found a book. Give it to the guy who can read. Um, but the funny thing is, it also is a hindrance to gameplay, I found. If you're going to sit down and play Warhammer and play, say, the classic uh, Enemy Within campaign, guess what? A huge quantity of the handouts are things like letters and notes and written material uh because that's that's the kind of thing we can hand out as a as, as a form of a gameplay and then it's you're you're in bad shape if you accidentally ended up with a group of characters of which none are literate <laughs> good point, like, oh, good point. Mm, i guess i guess this group is not the group to solve this mystery when uh they can't read any of the letters let me pull up a, uh, a good uh, recollection from uh, Disparal BB, actually, because he uh, nicely summarizes how D&D has handled that, is um, in second edition, literacy was a non-weapon proficiency. So you could have skills specifically in literacy. In third edition, they gave it to everybody except the barbarian class. So it said in third edition, it says, if you know a language, you know how to read and write it. If, unless you're a barbarian, then you got to pay skill points for it. Uh, and it hasn't been addressed since. Um, interesting. So it's an interesting. So it's an interesting. You know, and of course, we can contrast this with Warhammer, which, at least initially, sounds kind of interesting to me, actually. But yeah, uh, this difference between verbal. Are we talking verbal language? Are we talking written language? And then you know, you can dig into write an original D and D. Again, it's a little bit bipolar because in one place it says you know you get more languages from your intelligence. And then there might be magic spells that allow you to speak languages freely. Now, there aren't any language, there aren't any spells in original D&D that allow you to speak languages whatsoever. What there is, is there's a spell that allows you to read, right? There's the first level read languages mm -hmm. spell that allows you to read mm -hmm. stuff, but not, uh, not speak it and also not write it. Um, and it wasn't until a later edition that they added the tongue spell to actually let you talk to people. So that... Mm. distinction is clearly and, and again focus on the written word and how important writing is going to be is built right into the first level spells in original D&D. &D. Yeah, I wonder if that's not though um I feel like the written word becomes more important because it is a role playing game, right? That because we're playing a role playing game where you are exploring ancient forgotten locations like sort of implicit in the setting and implicit in the gameplay writing becomes more important is my theory i don't know i think it i think it certainly ties into all the action you see in tolkien right you get secret words mm -hmm. and messages and things like that um so I, I certainly feel that 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 ties into that kind of action that we want to uh that we want to experience ourselves um so it makes sense yeah, it's interesting, right? As I think about uh, Tolkien, like besides obviously all the background of, of uh, you know how much of a linguist Tolkien was, and and the, the the invention of all these languages, but that he did in fact write it into the plot, right? That there's a key moment 
of language where Gandalf is trying to open the door and, you know, you, know, you have that sort of pun of, of speak friend and enter. And, and you know, so one of the, is it Frodo uh, uh, figures it out? And um, Anyway, what am I getting at? There's a social interaction around language there, right? Like it's not just, it's not just, um, you know, uh, linguistics in terms of translation or uh, able to talk, but there's a, there's a social interaction between two characters of, do we do, you, I don't know this language, but I figured out the, 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 the riddle. <clears throat> what is the word for friend? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You want those moments. I guess what that's what I'm is about. Right? That's what role-playing is about. Right. Yeah. Get those, get yeah. those interesting little social moments out. Um, and that's, yeah, I feel like you can't, can't force those moments you can't make them happen but you can set them up and you can set them up by having rules around languages and who knows what and tuning that such that those moments are enabled to happen good thoughts let me bring it back before we run out of time let me bring it back to yeah. alignment languages and i that might be a whole sure. hour-long conversation on its own but i've 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 got to i've got to bring this out in fact there's a point here that john miller explained in the chat like like about 20 minutes back that I've got to touch on. So, okay. you know, alignment languages feel prickly to me. On the one hand, if you're talking like black speech of a faction, that's a pretty good defense of it. If you're talking about a family of languages, uh, like with Tolkien's, you know, three, you know, tripartite structure, that can kind of sort of make sense. Um, now, when you get to, when you, when you, I think it makes more sense with three alignments than it does with nine. Once you have nine alignments mm. and you have lawful mm. good language versus neutral good language, that starts to become harder for me to swallow personally. There's exactly mm. this many factions. When you move to first edition, there's a there's a block of text in DMG where uh, Gygax really tries really hard to dial it back. And he puts a whole lot of, you know, narrative limitations on it. He says, well, you know, you got the. I, I know I told you that everybody with the alignment has this alignment language, but um, it's very limited. You, you can only talk about things related to the ethical issue, right? You have to. You can only talk about the ethical issues about the language. It's only got a couple dozen words. It's it's largely it's it's symbols and sign language. It's incredibly restricted. Nobody's ever going to use it in public. It's considered socially unacceptable to possibly speak what your you know what your alignment is in public so nobody would ever ever do it in public you can't say hello do you speak chaotic good and you know only in the in the greatest of extremities would you possibly greet someone in alignment language and i personally i'm like i mean it's dnd you're always in the greatest of extremity i mean you're always about to die all the yeah. time so that's that's no restriction whatsoever and then he uh, so he tries to put all these kinds of buffers. And then he says, you know, not every monster with the alignment is going to have the alignment language now. So blink dogs are lawful good, but they're not culture related to other lawful good things. So they don't know the lawful good alignment. And I'm like, well, now I don't know how to I don't know how to rule on this. Yeah. And, and then finally, he says, if you change alignment, you use the alignment, you lose the alignment language. And that's probably like the canonical thing that I just cannot make coherent for myself is I, I can't see I can't see someone knowing a language and then changing their ethical outlook and then losing the language. And I personally, I cannot make sense of that at all. So the truth is, nowadays, I largely hand wave the issue of alignment languages in my game. You've, if you're going to do that, you've got to at least bring some kind of interpretation to it. It's got to be like a factional language or... I don't know. Maybe it's for the, the leaders of the armies to co to to coordinate, like I don't know, like NATO or something like that, in the black speech. So you've at least got to have some kind of interpretation to make that coherent. Because I think in the book, I I'm at a loss for how it's presented in first edition. I, could, I cannot. Make I could of it. see. I could see. If, uh, give me give me a second here to follow this train of thought, which is maybe a little odd. I could see an argument for the alignment languages maybe are not not a spoken language, but they're rather representative of uh, language families, right? So just like, um, you know, whatever the, uh, I, I'm not a linguist, I'm not going to use the right words here, but like parent families of things like, you know, French and Spanish, they're related. Um, so maybe goblins and orcs 
they're they don't maybe you could say that the alignment language just symbolizes that their languages are based on the same root language so a goblin can speak goblin to an orc and be partially understood you know um, that's a pretty good solution because when i was talking to you know my partner isabel who's the number one multilingual person that i know unprompted she said that ought to be part of the simulation if you're going to simulate languages in a in a, in a game that you you ought to have some way of simulating the fact that certain families of language are easier to pick up for people than others and you know as a french speaker pretty darn easy to pick up italian or spanish but trying to learn chinese immensely hard so actually that kind of i like that a lot because it kind of kills two birds with one stone it sort of makes alignment languages coherent plus it does introduce this family language um, representation has, we kind of like. It has, it has really one good. major problem. It has one major problem, I think, which is because languages in D&D are tied to race, it makes that okay. assumption that so too is alignment, right? Okay. <laughs> and as we know, that's a little, that's a little problematic, right? Um, so I almost would rather somebody just draw a tree um, and maybe they already have, and maybe that's exactly what we're looking at here in, in our third edition through sixth edition of like, there are these language families and these languages fall under them. And there you go. And that's why, you know, goblinoid is goblinoid and bugbears and goblins and orcs all speak a version of it. They can more or less communicate with each other. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a nice addition. I've done that for my game. I, I know other people have done that for their games. I think that's a nice addition. The, the one other thing I, I want to do on alignment languages is look at how our best, our best knowledge about exactly how Gary ran it in his game. If you can pull up the image, Paul, with the blue icon, <laughs> 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 which it. we knew this was going to happen. So this is yeah, from what we're going to see here is from the original D&D 74 forums. And uh, the the primary the inner the, the innermost plus the primary post is uh, from Mike Mornard, posting as Dronin of Samaria, uh, and Mike was one of the original players who played with both Gary Gygax and Dave Arneson. He's act I think he's the only person that played with both actually. So his um, his recollection was for player characters in original D and D with with Gary, the vast majority of us were neutral, and you had to do something pretty egregious to change alignment. Uh, as someone stated above, it was a game artifact of, you know, enabling to to have sides in your war game. Um, so more or less what Mike is arguing there is that alignment was more or less just hand waved in Gary's games. They didn't talk about it very much. It wasn't a very big issue. Basically, everybody was neutral all the time. And then someone, uh, Oak Spalding here, asks for clarification, like, why, why was everybody neutral? And what Mike responds with at the bottom is he says, because as neutral, you were only one step away from either law or chaos. Again, three three alignments here. Um, and by mm -hmm. learning both of those alignment languages, you had at least a chance of being able to communicate with any sentient creature. This was especially important in terms of wandering monsters. So according to Mike, everybody in Gary's games picked neutral and then learned the lawful and chaotic languages as extra languages from their intelligence. Technically, that's allowed because the book says you're, oppo you're, you're opposed to diametrically opposite alignments. So I guess that's mm -hmm. technically allowed. And by knowing those three languages, now you can talk to anything that talks. And I think I hate that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Am I crazy? Yeah. I think I hate that because, because all this interesting conversation that we've been having about uh, languages and the role play you get from talking through them and the different players getting to have the spotlight for, for, for a while, that just gets whoop right off the tape, right off your gaming table. And I'm like, yeah. why do we have a language rule then? Why, why do we have lists of languages and rules for languages and alignment bonuses and all that kind of stuff if you're just going to say, eh, the party can talk to everybody through the alignment languages? I kind of don't like that. Am I nuts? Yeah, that's no. <laughs> Am I having a no, stroke that over does, that? I mean, you know, unfortunately, what we're missing here, what I would love to see is Gary's reaction to that. Because I feel like as DM, uh, I could see a player coming up with that and me going, oh, God, give me a break. Like, really? <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. And, you know, Griff Morgan is in the chat right now reminding us that, um, to his recollection, Mordred mostly played with Barker in the, in the in, I believe, the Blackmore game. Um, mm -hmm. You know, he's, he, you know, yeah, for what it's worth, you know, Mike was, uh, and I've, you know, I've, I've talked to him in person at least once, a uh, very generous guy. 
you know, Mike has been very um, uh, dogmatic about his experiences playing with Gary and Dave. Uh, occasionally, not everybody agrees with those. So there's a bit of a Rashomon effect here. Um, you know, that's Mike's recollection from 50 years ago. Maybe Gary would have said yeah. something different. Yeah. But I, I don't I don't like all oh, there's so much interesting play from languages that I certainly wouldn't want to just wipe it off the table and say everybody can talk to everybody. That seems like a huge loss to me. Interesting. Well, I think I agree with that. Uh, Dan, we are we are out of time here. We have run the clock. Uh, any 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 final thoughts on languages? You know, I don't mind the classic languages rule. I actually like having lots and lots of languages and kind of like the real world and uh, players possibly having a bunch a bunch on their on their sheet. Um, I like this surprise from who what player has to take the spotlight in the negotiations. I've got a lot of interesting play out of that. I'm not I'm not super fond of alignment languages. You've got to at least massage that in your game, if not, uh, if not just delete that. And they've, they've done that in third edition. And you know what, for me, I don't mind having the languages binary. I don't mind having binary resources for spells or feats or languages and be having to track points for those things and talk about them in your game. Like, I don't really want players to go, well, I've got 15 points in Orcish, but you have 23 points in Orcish. Right? I would rather have the conversation be, I know Orcish, and you don't. Yeah. It seems like yeah. a more interesting narrative uh, uh, flow to me. So I, I actually don't mind the original rule. I kind of like it. I'm happy to stick with it, frankly. Hmm. I almost want like a, a, a much more, uh, much larger grain. I wouldn't mind variations of how well you know a language, but I want it very big grain. I want like you speak it poorly, you speak it well, you can read and write it. Like those are those are probably the, and I'm not even sure that that's a that's a linear progression, right? Like that's like a, do I speak it poorly or well? Can I can I read and write or not? It's like. Probably enough. I want those those that that kind of two by two grid of, I, of options. I don't mind that. I think I, I think in my notes I actually said if you had to uh, if you had to uh, give grades that I don't want to go, I don't want to go more than six at most. Right? If you say I've got a language and it's fair, poor, or good, I could live with that. And if you gave me if you gave me a six point scale, I could live with that. But I don't want twenty points. I don't want twenty point scale, and I don't want a percentage scale either. That's I can't handle that. Well, viewers, you, if you have opinions on uh, languages, uh, how many there should be, uh, whether it should be binary or not, how to use it in your role-playing game, please leave us comments here in the YouTube uh, video. We would love to hear your thoughts, and maybe we will uh, speak some more, hopefully in English, about, uh, about the topic. <laughs> Yeah. And if there's a particular thread here that you'd like to see another episode about, feel free to tell us in the comments if you want a, a whole hour on alignment languages or uh, what about the magic, right? The magic that allows you to talk. We didn't talk too much about that today. So maybe those are all uh, episodes we could do uh, coming up. And of course, mm -hmm. remember that you can like, follow and subscribe to us and Wandering DMs on places like YouTube and Twitch and Twitter and Facebook and GitHub and TikTok. It's a lot of words there by the handle wandering DM. So look for us on those sites and you'll get updates on upcoming shows. If you prefer to listen to our show in audio only podcast format, you can find those podcasts on our website at wanderingdms.com. Also through various podcasters such as iTunes, Spotify, and Google podcast. If you are listening to this podcast right now at one of those third party carriers, please take a moment to rate and review us on that site. That helps other users of that site find our show and we really appreciate it. We really do. And of course, huge thanks to our patrons who support the show. Uh, we've gotten a whole bunch of new patrons recently, actually, which is great. And thank you for joining. If you're in a position where you'd like to join our existing patrons, please go to patreon.com slash wandering DMs. And you'll see we've got three different tiers there. You'll get discounts on merch, uh, monthly behind the scenes stuff we try to do, uh, trying to get out uh, dungeon design adventures that we've done uh, previously. And of course, access to a private Discord server. Uh, we're going to be there in about 10 minutes for our after chat live video to continue the conversation about languages as we do every week. One of the favorite things we do every week. Paul, will you be joining us from Montreal or do you need to? Um, I, I, I will off? for a little bit at least. I might I might need to wander off a little early, but I will be there. Yeah. Okay. Hopefully not into a forbidden place. <laughs> <laughs> it's forbidden. <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, look for our upcoming shows, right? I'll be back uh, Thursday late night uh, Eastern time for more of me playing AD&D Pool of Radiance. I'm currently on a two-week streak with no TPKs. I'm happy to Excellent. I'm, I'm happy to report that. So I'm going to go for the three-peat this week. Can I do it? Good luck. Maybe so. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> going to be Thieves and Temple of Bane coming up, I think. Uh, but of course, uh, don't forget that we are live every Sunday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. So we hope you'll join us again next week for another thought-provoking discussion. We'll see you then.